Hello there, welcome to episode 141 of Riot Act, the alternative music podcast with me, Stephen Hill, and him, always, forever, until now, until the end of time, Renfrey Deadman. <laughs> Hello, how are you doing, Stephen? Hi, mate. Nice emphasis. I'm right, thanks. Nice emphasis on music there. I liked that. Music. Forever. Yeah, it's because normally podcast. what happens is this, this bit, we start talking about something which is utterly unrelated to- I know, I know. To the podcast. Wow. And I thought I just would emphasize that bit because- I, I often wonder how many people go, oh, I'd like to listen to a music podcast. And then we start talking about Woody Allen or <laughs> like your T-shirt or, <laughs> yeah. you know, the difference yeah. between coffee and tea. All subjects that have come up or recently. Or Police Academy. And they go, <laughs> what, what is this shit? And yeah. then turn off. So it is, this is a music podcast. Give it 10 minutes and it'll turn into Give it 10 minutes. I mean, podcast. give it now, to be honest. I mean, on this week's show, this is proof. We're going to be reviewing new music from Dinosaur Jr., London Grammar, Big Brave, an assertion and we'll also be saying a big thanks to signature brew hooray hooray, hooray for signature brew who sent a crate of uh of beer my me. goodness golly me what a crate what a crate lots of g sharp lots of uh pink vinyl lovely stuff yeah. very happy. i was not gonna lie renfrey i think i was pissed on saturday Ooh. that came on thursday i think Okay. And I think on Saturday, you're allowed people in the garden and stuff now. My mate, I've been talking about my mate, Stu, mm -hmm. who we'd go, we'd take one can, I'd take two cans. Mm -hmm. and we'd have a socially distanced walk through mm -hmm. the kind of fallow mm -hmm. months mm -hmm. yep. of 2021. Yeah, littering, yep. <laughs> no, 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 never <laughs> littering, never. Um, um, not on the beautiful countryside of Hampshire, not a chance. Um, and he was able to come and sit on in my garden furniture we kicked a ball around with his kids and we ended up drinking one of each of the types of beers. So I had like four or five different cans. Lovely. I had a roadie. I had a G sharp. Mm. I had a polyphonic peach. Lovely. I had what the, the berry one as well. We're, they're sponsoring us. I should know what the berry one is called. <laughs> the berry one. Everyone calls it the berry one. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I think this is slightly off tangent, but I had my first pint. Uh, next to a pub, I should say, in quite a long time on Saturday. Um, mm. I was... Uh, in Where was that? I, well, I was in the countryside. So it was actually um, in a pub called The Railway in Cam, just about right. a three-minute walk from my mum's house. I'd never been to this pub because it always... Well, I mean, I hope no one's listening from The Railway, but it always looked a bit scummy. Uh, but it was... <laughs> actually quite nice uh hmm. there we go well that was my first question renfrey was where where was it my second question was going to be is it relevant to the signature brew no. sponsorship apart from apart from beer no sting thing no. that i was in the middle of doing they didn't have signature brew on tap right so <laughs> i would probably say the information you've just given me shut up and the listeners is yeah fairly interesting and innocuous i guess for a music <laughs> podcast not really relevant so there's that just want to skip it but also it's kind of a bit of a slap in the face for our good friends <laughs> i would have had a siggy brew if they had it on tap or, or or in a can or anything like that but they didn't i mean it hasn't mm. they haven't infiltrated cam quite i don't think it's just a tiny village in the middle of nowhere i mean shithole sounds like a shithole to me <laughs> it's fine it's, it's no fine. it's not it doesn't serve signature <laughs> brew fuck it Fuck that place. Bomb it. Burn it down. Burn it to the ground. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Go to signaturebrew.co.uk. They've spent a decade making better bills in the railway. Pathetic little railway. 
shithole that you were wasting your life. I will say this. Life in. The beer I had was not as nice as any of the signature brew beers I've had. And I, I had a lovely time in my garden with the signature brew beer. It, this all comes down to this. Who do you want to be more like? Me or Renfrey? Right? <laughs> I think we know. <laughs> I think we know. So go to signaturebrew.co.uk. Go to signaturebrew.co.uk. You can be more like me and you can get any of those beers I just talked about. One of their collaborative beers, a brew with Mastodon, Idol, Slaves, Sports Team, Mogwai, Frank Turner, The Darkness, Enter Shikari. Their award-winning legendary pub in the box is still available and you will have a lovely time. You can get 10% off all of your purchases when you put the code RIOTACT into the checkout. So go and do that. You made that really difficult for me this week, Renfrey. My made it... <laughs> any, more, <laughs> any more so than usual? I don't think so. You know what to yeah, expect yeah. by now. Yeah, that, that's probably true, actually. That's probably quite accurate. Um, hopefully, also, if you've got a little, if you, you know, with that 10% that you've got off, maybe you can chuck a few coins our way hey, over on our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash right podcast. Uh, we have put up a classic album this week on Ben Folds, Whatever and Ever Amen, which we spoke about last week, was fantastic. Five pound tier, you get two of them. So you've had two weeks on the trot, actually, because you've got the Gojira one, just went out the week before. Thanks for your feedback on that. Little bit of feedback on Ben Folds 5, kind of what I expected, really. Mm. Like, I'm hoping a lot of people discover that band. Mm. Mm. Because I don't know if, like, in the UK, we sort of spoke about it in the special. I don't know how big they are in the UK. But they're fucking great. <laughs> ben Folds 5 are fucking great and brilliant band. And those who were already in the know seemed very, very excited by mm-hmm. it, indeed, as they should have yes. been. Um, but no, amazing band and amazing record. Absolutely. And- should pick up, uh, check that out. We didn't say what we were going to be doing next, so you might as well reveal that now. Uh, in two Mondays' time, our next £5 Patreon classic album special is going to go up. We're going to do another double because we thought on the back of doing two bands, I suppose maybe even three three or four, really, because we've been doing Seager Ross and the specials are pretty big. We saw that the specials didn't sell loads of records. Oh. Ben Foss 5 aren't massive. We thought we want to tackle one of the big, big dogs in in kind of alternative music so you're going to get a double on soundgarden super unknown going out for free and on our patreon page we're going to be doing down on the upside yes Mm. not bad motor finger down on the upside not saying we're never going to do bad motor finger we might do one day but it's just another chance for me to go back to my happy place of 1996 it has been what (laughs) two months now since i've not not spoken about 1996 so i'm going to be doing super unknown renfrey is going to be taking on sorry uh down on the upside renfrey is going to be taking super unknown and that is going to be with you in a couple of weeks i have to say i am super excited about that soundgarden are one of my favorite bands ever Mm. super unknown probably a top 10 album of all time for me i would say so yes can't wait to get into that one absolutely fucking joyous time that will be um but a little bit sad as well probably uh, a little yeah. bit yeah yeah, yeah. We'll, yeah we'll have a little bit of that we also have put up a writers review this week a couple of days ago on the hurting by tears for fears as suggested by rich hobson if you put any amount of money into our patreon page you get to suggest a record we're trying to get through as many of them as possible the debut album from tears for fears fucking great record i'd never actually heard it in full before mm. but i think i do love tears for fears now um yeah i do i enjoyed it i enjoyed it very much as well despite it not being my thing per se certainly less so than it is your thing um yeah tears for fears clearly a great band and uh, great m- band. much maligned at the time i think I know, really Which weird. Is an interesting like, thing to see. 
It is. Um, also, Broken Records, we had Linkin Park went out this week. So, you know, a few people have gone, oh, about the shit we said about Linkin Park. But unfortunately, <laughs> it's true. Oh, a couple of people, yeah, I did see one yeah. like, oh, at, at me more than anyone else. Uh, but then yeah. okay. I am, you know, I, I probably hate them the most, don't I? It, oh, well, certainly of the two of us. And uh, you are King Hatred. Yes. <laughs> mm, <laughs> king Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, we got another. Yeah, Just keep your eye on, on Broker Records because we've got plenty of them coming up. Well, we've obviously. got cute is what we aim for on Monday, haven't cute we? Is, mm. Cute is what we aim for. Uh, <laughs> pop punk band. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so lots of inappropriate sexual stuff in that i think um <laughs> Sadly. Uh, okay so as i said go to patreon.com forward slash right podcast there's loads of stuff over there um we should start the show this week by paying tribute to jim steinman who as we started recording we we, we got news through last night that he passed away at the age of 73 um He's been ill for some time. It's due to kidney failure. That's about as much as we know mm. about uh, the kind of the situation. And kind of that's all we need to know, really. 73, you know, really could have had quite a lot of life left in him. So, you know, very, very sad that he's um, passed away. A gentleman with a real kind of pedigree for writing a specific type of music, which I think is kind of, there's something uniquely Steinman-esque about the bombastic, um, adventurous music that Jim Steinman is known for. I think there's a very real argument to put him up with the great uh, pop songwriters of the last, you know, like I'd probably put him in the same league as the Desmond Childs and so on and so forth. Certainly in the sense that like you listen to a song that he's contributed to and there is an immediate kind of um recognition that this could this is probably a Steinman track because of that mm. bombast and the kind of almost the musical theatre elements that he kind of brought into it or the opera kind of elements yeah. he brought into it. Obviously most famous for working with uh Meatloaf on the mm -hmm. Bat of Hell series of albums. Uh he did other stuff with Meatloaf as well though, didn't he? Um he wrote loads he did, yeah. with Meatloaf and uh but also mm -hmm. work with Bonnie Tyler. Um and oh goodness me, help me out. He still. did his own solo album. I mean I think he he worked for Celine Dion, I believe. Right. He worked with Andrew yeah. Lloyd Webber, which I mean I'm not sure either of those things are particularly something to get to be proud of but they are big they are big 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 artists um he did holding out for a hero by bonnie tyler which he you did. know due to it being uh towards the end of uh short circuit 2 i i loved that track i used to listen to it all the time but i'd listen to it by i had short circuit 2 on vhs and i would uh just re-watch that chase sequence at the end of short circuit 2 over and over again because i need a hero love it short circuit um, <laughs> not a great film not a great film <laughs> i mean short circuit film. short circuit is very bad very i bad. was gonna go with not great i mean i've not seen it for a long time it's probably i've seen it a good. few times in the last sort of five years or so and i was pretty stunned at how bad it was anyway we're not here to talk about fucking short circuit while we're paying tribute <laughs> to jim steinman i did reach out um because if there's someone that i do know who is a huge fan of jim steinman it is will gould from creeper and i know you like um meatloaf very much and very much so. you know I, I i appreciate 
the, a lot of the stuff that Jim Steinman's done, but but Will, you know, his solo album and stuff, like he's a huge, huge fan. The Creeper have covered Meatloaf before. Um, so I did message Will and I was like, is there something you'd like to say, which I think would give it a bit more gravitas than the two of us can. And um, he messaged me back and he said this, in his passing, it's time to recognise Jim Steinman for what he is, one of the greatest rock stars to have ever lived. Though the worlds he meticulously constructed for us to live in were often inhabited by talented singers, the real genius was working tirelessly behind the curtain. Steinman's direct influence on popular music will be seen like spilled ink on blot paper. It will continue to seep into and permeate our everyday lives for many years to come. And then he put hope. And then he put hope. That's okay. Yes, Will. Love, it that's is very okay. okay. Thank you, Will. It is lovely. Thanks, Will. So, um, you know, we respect Jim Steinman very much, but certainly, um, you know, Will as a as a huge, huge fan and lover of that music and someone a band who have been clearly completely mm. completely influenced by um by jim steinman that's what he has to say so yes thanks so much will I, I could not honestly sit here and say that i followed jim steinman's work um you know certainly during the latter part of my listening uh but as has been discussed on this podcast before way back when we were doing trade-offs i gave you um meatloaf bat out of hell 2 for trade-off and i did, yeah. predominantly gave it to you because it was the first cd i ever bought with my own money um so for me um in particular uh jim steinman and meatloaf whilst i wouldn't choose to listen to either these days are actually super super important to, uh, to me and i um Bat Out of Hell too. goodness me. I mean, when you get a record and it's like the only album you have and you listen to it to death over and over again. I, I, I When we did that trade-off on Bat Out of Hell 2, I put it on and I still knew every single word, you know. And it is, mm. whether it's your cup of tea or not, and I think for our taste these days, it probably isn't our cup of tea. It's overblown, very kind of cheesy, very very over the top and theatrical, which isn't what we tend to go for. But um, if you do like that kind of thing, it's difficult to sort of think of uh, another artist who does it with quite as much uh, grandiosity, I think, than, than Jim Steinman. Yeah, and there's a real sort of, there's the grandiosity and the bombast and the pomposity and the kind of overblownness of it all. But yet the songs are ridiculously brilliantly catchy. Like there's no denying that they really are. And when you look at, I mean, for me, when I was kind of like sneer at power metal mm. and, you know, which I do a little bit, admittedly, like for me, it's because a lot of times I don't think those bands are ever capable. I wouldn't mind them being that silly if they were capable of writing such humongous choruses and what? such humongous arrangements. And, I, you know, I, there and that's lies the, the rub. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. 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 I said it in oldie worldie Shakespeare way. You said it in modern way. Uh, but yeah, exactly. That is... That is the nub of the issue, isn't it? The fact that, yeah. you know, 99% of those power metal bands couldn't write a chorus as good as Jim Stein and could in a million years, you know, mm. so, yeah. There you go. Uh, RIP to Jim Steinman. Uh, moving on to the other big piece of news from the, well, the big piece of news from the world of metal this week. Um, bum, bum, gah, 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 bum, God, Mary, Mary, what you said? I'm still Mudvayne are back. Um, <laughs> Mudvayne, I said I was going to do it. If, and you, I did if, it. If, <laughs> if you didn't get it from from that, then you've no hope at all. Uh, Mudvayne, yeah. 
yes, they are coming back to play some US festival dates in the autumn. After going on hiatus in 2010, they're going to be playing at Incarceration, Louder Than Life, Aftershock, and Welcome to Rockville. So, all of these I mean, festivals in America, we should say. Yeah, that's why I said they're playing some US festival dates. My apologies. Scumbag. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> I'm half asleep. <laughs> uh, I actually interviewed um, Mr. Chad Gray out of the mud veins uh, about six years ago. Right. And I sort of mentioned it to him and he bristled a little bit. He didn't like he didn't like it because he was with oh, hell yeah. yeah. Mm. Didn't like mentioning it. And I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe that's not ever going to happen then, the whole mud vein reunion. But it has, I guess pretty much like we've said before everybody reforms don't they everybody does um so that's cool i mean mudvane we've sort of said it a little bit if if you're a a patron and you've been listening to our tears for fears special we did actually go off on one a bit (laughs) (laughs) about this probably a little bit too much to be fair um yesterday but you know for those of you who haven't heard us doing that renfrey mudvane what we saying about the return of this band well i mean I I actually really like Mudvayne. I particularly like those first two albums. I, I I particularly like Mudvayne. I really like those first two albums by Mudvayne. I don't listen to much else after that. Uh, but LD50 and The End of All Things to Come, I think it's called, um, are both like really good records. And they are one of those uh, bands who were much derided at the time, much um, mainly due to the makeup, I think. Um, there was a lot of comparisons between them and Slipknot. Sean Crahan had some sort of or pushed Mudvayne quite a lot around this ta- around that time as well. Um but they are they are a much better band than many people gave them credit for at the time. What I feel is surprising about this, and I know you agree, is just how crazy people are going about this Mudvayne reunion. It really does seem to be, particularly in America, it seems to be really big news. Um, and and, and I mean, this appears to be the, the, the moment in history where Mudvayne have the most respect they've ever had. Um, which, you know, I mean, it's not an uncommon thing to happen in music. I just think we were both a little bit surprised. I think the news hit on Monday. I think we were both a little mm. bit surprised at just how excited people seem to be. But that's, you know, cool. Like, if Mudvayne come over to the UK and do some shows, I'll go and see them. Um, it's been years since I've seen Mudvayne. I never saw them at their own show either. So, and um, yeah. if they were, you know, if they were to do, I would have thought that a large part of the set will come from those first two records would be my guess um absolutely uh, yeah uh, i would imagine it would be heavily weighted in that kind of earlier stuff definitely yeah mudvayne are a funny one aren't they because yeah they were kind of heavily derided and i always i mean when ld50 came out in the year 2000 i did not want new metal at all so i did sort of look at them and go nah mm-hmm. no chance and then i think i heard nothing to gain on a Mm. a Kerrang CD and I was like wow this is a really good song and I got the record and I was like this is a lot better than I imagined it would be and certainly I think one of the things I did say if you've heard the writer's view when we were talking about this and I stand by it completely is that you've now got this thing like everything in music the sort of cyclical nature of something where it if it's new elitists will sort of shit on it or I don't like the word elitist particularly, but like people who are kind of deeply ingrained in that stuff will shit on it. Mm-hmm. And then it will 
to kind of it will be kind of critically reappraised by the people who discovered it who have got older at the time so mm-hmm. everything's going to come back and be cool at some point but broken side will reform and people will be like oh my god broken side are back amazing mm. like that will happen unfortunately mm. uh, but it probably will happen Sadly, it happens with everything i mean i think limp biscuit are probably cooler now than they've ever been undoubtedly yeah yeah not, not even debatable i mean yeah. we've said it's about tears for fears who had a you know a tough 90s or whatever I remember kind of when you get back to 2000, middle of the early 2000s, I suppose, the idea of grunge, you know, like if you're like, you can start a grunge band. Mm-hmm. was now like there's, loads of them. there's nothing fucking cooler than being in a kind of 90s sounding band. Like yeah. it's and all of those bands are, are considered really, really fucking cool. Yeah. You know, people are kind of reappraising things all the time. Going, oh, actually, it was really, really good. And. I guess Mudvayne are just the latest example of that happening. I think they're a pretty good band. I mean, I can't get too excited about it. I think um, our friend uh, Adam Valley, um, who's not in the armed, uh, said um, <laughs> he's not. Uh, <laughs> sorry, everyone. Uh, <laughs> he tweeted that our oh, Mudvayne for Arc Tangent headliners. I mean, no. imagine thinking. Imagine thinking that. Yeah, I know. Okay. (laughs) Kind of like pretty ridiculous suggestion to be fair. But at the same time, I I think if Mudvayne played Arctangent, if Mudvayne played, if Mudvayne got announced for Arctangent when it was first a festival, Mm. people would have gone fuck off. Whereas now, I think they probably would go down really well. I I, I think they'd go down well. And I, I, I can, I think Mudvayne, they probably only play Art Tangent if they got quite high up on the bill. Um, uh, I, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't. They'd know have if, to headline. They'd have to headline. I don't know if Art Tangent Surely. is the right place for Mudvayne. Although having, I, mean, I, I don't think it is either, to be honest. But although but having, I think that having said were that, were they there? Having said that, I understand where that comes from because obviously, again, there were a lot of people who were just like, "Oh, Mudvayne, they're just another new metal band." I, they're not really a new metal band at all, really. Um, no. They they share a lot more in common with. Uh, tool than they do with corn i would say uh i mean they have some dna with corn but not not as much as they do with tool and they no. you know i i when Mudvayne came out in 2000 i was really snooty around it i was just like oh, i don't need this in my life and then yeah a few years later i'd like actually properly sat down and listened to ld50 and there's some really awesome stuff going on that record it's also their bass players unbelievable it's unbelievable yeah and there's some really um amazing there are some quite idiosyncratic things about that band. There's some things that you listen to them and you go, well, that's Mudvayne, you know, and mm. we always say that's a sign of quality. And, I, and, yeah. and it is. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not like bowled over, super, super insanely excited by this reunion, but I'd like to see it. And I'd be curious to see what kind of rooms they'll play um, when slash if they come over. Um, what do you think Mudvayne would do? that's a question isn't it um damn what would they do uh i'd say at least forum which is 2000 cap yeah but maybe even brixton i don't know i think brixton feels like a bit of a stretch i was gonna say roundhouse or forum roundhouse sounds good yeah roundhouse sounds good I think I think yeah. I would be really excited by a Mudvayne show at Roundhouse. I think that would be a yeah. really good size, about three thousand people. Um, but yeah, um, I'm happy enough having Mudvayne back. There's definitely bands from that era that I wouldn't give a flying toss about, and Mudvayne aren't one of them. So, you know, and as you say, the bass playing in that band absolutely 
unbelievable. Um, shout out to John Niblock from uh, Vassa, who's been flying the Mudvayne flag, flag for his entire life, I think, um, <laughs> and absolutely adores that band. Um, but uh, he, like, John's an incredible bassist as well, and, and he mm. uh, talks about all the time how he basically rips off Mudvayne all the time. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I, I, I think it's cool. I do think people are going a little bit OTT, but, you know, fair enough. I'd rather see that than, I don't know, I was going to say an American head charge reunion, but they never actually split up, did they? Um, no, they played They played very high at download about five years ago mm. on, the, on the like on the third stage, but quite high up. And I was like, Why? lads, <laughs> how, how have you done this? Um, so there you go. Mudvayne are back. Yeah, I'm, I would watch them. I think I only saw them once at the... Ozfest in 2001? I think I only saw them once. One? Mm, I think I only saw them once as well. And they were playing just before Tool, so I was sort of on the barrier for Tool, but craning my neck to see a bit of Mudvayne, so I didn't really see them properly Yeah. anyway. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, would watch. Would <laughs> watch. And LD50 is a pretty good record. Yeah. So there you go. Um, all right, good. Let's do some reviews then, is it? Let's start with the 12th studio album from proto-grunge legends, Dinosaur Jr. The album is called Sweep It Into Space. It is, as I said, their 12th album, but their fifth album since their mid-noughties reformation. Their first since 2016's Give a Glimpse of What You're Not. Yeah, as in you da. They're spelling it like that on that album. Oh, which right. I, which I quite like. Uh, we recently did a writer's review on their 2007 comeback album, Beyond, which you and I, Renfrey, both really enjoyed. And since then, I've been really feeling Dinosaur Jr. Same. I've been really enjoying them and sort of sticking them on probably more than i have done in well decades mm. probably since they were around the first time so this comes at a pretty good time for them if they're looking to get a good review from me basically <laughs> if <they're> lo- <laughs> i would say if they're looking to get a good review from us because doing that uh writer's review or beyond just uh i think we both said it at the time just massively um reminded both of us just what a great band dinosaur junior were and i also think it made us a bit more aware that their post-reformation material was actually well worth diving into and in mm. some cases i mean i ended up saying at the end of that writer's review that i i thought beyond was my second favorite dinosaur junior record of the ones that i'd heard which is yeah. quite a thing to say of a of a comeback album you know but um there you go so yeah uh, i'm an i'm an ex- exactly the same um boat as you i think in terms of sort of um being being excited to hear this record i guess um uh, 12 albums in uh i think the sort of fuzzed up slacker formula that dinosaur jr have in place is very much still a thing um although there were a couple of minor surprises along the way i thought um there's a sort of sweetness to this record that I don't really recall hearing on many other Dinosaur Junior records, certainly mm. not on the early stuff like Bug. Um, mm. But for the most part, rather than just being merely fuzzed up slacker anthems, these are sweet fuzzed up slacker well, anthems, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a there's a glass half empty and a glass half full way to look at this record. Yes, yes, yes. This to me does feel, uh, you know, it's another Dinosaur Junior album, 12 albums in, they're not going to radically change the thing that they do. Nope. They're Dinosaur Junior. Like they're going to sound 
like Dinosaur Jr. And I think this album does sound like Dinosaur Jr. Yeah. And I'm quite glad to do that. I think it would be too much to ask for some kind of huge radical reinvention, 12 albums and what, 35, 36 years into their career? Something like that. Um, but you're right. This is a quite kind of breezily summery album. I yeah. went for a walk earlier. Lovely sunny day, clear blue skies, loads of sun. And I put this album on and I was like, I don't know if there are any other Dinosaur Jr. albums that I put on. In the sun? That would, in the sun, that would mm. suit like this. I mean, mm. I said in that Rioters review, I saw them on a blazingly hot, boiling August afternoon when they played the Reading Festival in 1997. And their music didn't strike me then as... You know, they went on just before, just after Three Colours Red. And Three Colours Red were proper kind of boisterous, oi oi, pub rock belters. Dinosaur Jr. felt much more insular and slacker and shoegate, you know, and a bit more yeah. kind of dour than that. Yeah. And um, this is kind of that guitar sound. Everyone know, everyone who's a fan of this band will know what I mean when I say mm. that guitar sound. Fuss. That guitar sound yeah. is just they they do that yeah probably as well as anyone yeah. like that's their thing isn't it um but it kind of rollicks along in a good mood i almost see it as a i almost see it as a companion piece to sunshine rock by bob mold i really was almost positive that you were going to say that because <laughs> i knew one of us were going to say that <laughs> one of us had to say that didn't they but that's what it feels like it feels like yes it's what you're familiar with and it's what they do but just in shot with a slight injection of this sort of sweet breeziness which i should also say i keep saying this word sweet and i do think it's the right word but it never uh oversteps into saccharin either mm. um and i think that's quite a difficult i think they're balance. too cynical for that i agree I agree. But that's why it's nice when you get a record that is a sweet record from someone cynical. It always kind of pushes it back. Uh, and, 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 you know, you don't get that sort of bloated Linkin Park, one more light saccharine mess. Um, and, you know, th this doesn't go anywhere near that in the slightest. No. But but there is a sweetness to it. Songs like Garden, which has this huge anthemic It's chorus. such a weird comparison. Sorry, just, just sure. a minute. It's such a weird comparison with Linkin Park that <laughs> it almost feels you're putting it out in just as shit on Linkin Park. And if that's the case, Renfrey, then I wholly applaud your... <laughs> tactics i actually did it because i said the word saccharin and i realized i said saccharin a lot during that broken record um mm -hmm. but uh yeah it's, it's not like that in the slightest um okay. gordon uh garden sorry gordon uh garden has that awesome anthemic <laughs> chorus um i guess it's a ballad of sorts um it feels like a ballad for dinosaur jr even if it isn't a uh, traditional ballad uh and then there's walking to you as well which also has that anthemic chorus thing mm. and jay mass is seem just makes three words i know why sound like this massive immense hook uh which is yeah. quite a thing to do with very very little i think songs like i ain't and i ran away are coated with that sweetness as well um without ever becoming saccharine um i really like this record a lot um i guess we had a sort of similar thing uh, this is going to sound like a bizarre comparison because it absolutely is. We sort of had a similar thing last week with uh, Cannibal Corpse in that, like, it's difficult to get super, super excited about a record when they're this far into their career. But that doesn't mean mm. they're not doing good someone, records. Someone had a go at us on Twitter for not being nice enough about the Cannibal Corpse record. I was like, we were really nice about it. Mm. We just said it sounded like Cannibal Corpse. Yeah, I, I mean, really understand. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, I think. I guess 
it kind of comes down to how much you like these bands in the first place, doesn't it? And like Dinosaur Jr. is a band that both of us have sort of said that we both really, really like. I think Cannibal Corpse, you're definitely a fan of. I admire Cannibal Corpse massively. Um, but I guess the difference with an album like this and that Cannibal Corpse record for me is just because I like this band more and they're more interesting to me. And it does something a little bit like there is a certain, as as you just said, if you wanted a Dinosaur Junior record to be outside in the summer with, this is this might be this is probably the most likely one you'd go to. Yeah. It serves a purpose, you know. Um, whereas I can't see a purpose beyond uh, Violence Unimagined just being another Cannibal Course record, really. A, a, like a good one, like a very mm. good one. But but you know, beyond that, it just doesn't really. I think it's like to to make that comparison. For this is a sort of summary one. I think the Cannibal Corpse record is is a is a like the 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 ferocity the the, the quickening of it. It's a fast record. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. that is one thing I will say for it. But then I think Kill, which we spoke about, Kill being a great record. And I think Kill has that pace to it as well. Precisely. I think the songs on Kill are kind of better, probably a bit better um, in in the main. Um, so yeah, whereas Dinosaur Junior, I'm not sure they've got a record that I've heard that sounds quite this bright and breezy. So I think it's definitely they're 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 bands who do a certain thing. Both of them are bands who do a certain thing, and they can kind of veer towards slightly different flavors. It's just I think this particular flavor on the Dinosaur Junior album is the um, a more different flavor than say what Cannibal Corpse the differing flavor of what cannibal corpse are doing on that record last week which is a flavor that they have sort of dipped into before um yeah. I, I just want to say one last thing on that um when dinosaur junior first came out they were copied to buggery they were copied over and over and over again steve albini made a reference we did um slint spiderland and steve albini mm -hmm. made a reference at the beginning of his review the 10 fucking stars review um that he gave slint spiderland that every band at the moment just sounds like dinosaur junior and back in 1991 that was probably the case um there are a lot of bands doing what cannibal corpse do right at the moment maybe not to the same standard i think the majority of them don't do it to the same standard as, as cannibal corpse but Death metal is a, you know, it's a genre which is being done to death uh, a lot and, and will probably continue to be. Whilst Dinosaur Jr. were, um, th whilst this sort of slacker pop thing was like huge in the early 90s, it's difficult to think of loads of bands that are doing this sound now. It's not. Original. They're also the, one of the first ones to do it as Absol well, Dinosaur Jr., whereas Cannibal Court. I mean, I don't know why we, well, we're just, we are making that comparison of, um, probably why you'd prefer this record to the other one, even though they are quite weird comparisons. It's just, but it's it's a bonkers. Yeah, they're not bonkers. The, no, Cannibal Corpse didn't invent this sound, whereas Dinosaur Junior kind of did. Were one of the first bands to do this, and yeah. a lot of people ripped them off. No one's ripping Cannibal Corpse off. They're ripping off the things that Cannibal Corpse ripped off. I guess. I'm just talking about veteran bands who who essentially stick to a formula and do do what they do over and over again. Mm. But why there is a difference between those two things, and why there can be a difference between those two things, a lot of it comes down to personal taste. I, yep. I like whilst I would never ever compare the two bands because it'd be mad to do so. I personally prefer listening to Dinosaur Junior than I do Cannibal Corpse. That doesn't mean Dinosaur Junior are a better band than Cannibal. Well, Corpse. I'll tell you what. I, I would have said if you'd have asked me a month ago, who do I prefer, Cannibal Corpse or Dinosaur Junior? 
one, I would have gone, well, that's a weird question. And two, <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it is, and it is. Yeah, yeah. And two, I would have said Cannibal Corpse probably. But I have to say, in the last month or so, um, listening to you know, listening to to Bug again, and going mm. back to um, you know where you've been, and you're living all over me, and those albums, oh, they're really good. And then obviously. I listened to Beyond and then you said I Bet on Sky was really good. Yeah, I really like it. So I listened to I Bet on Sky and I was like, well, this is really good yeah. as well. And now this has come out. And again, this is this is really good. Yeah. And it feels a little bit different from what they've done. I mean, I would say, you know, Jay Massish has got some amazing riffs. I mean, the kind of, there's a, a fair bit of mid-paced stuff on this. I mean, this mm. guitar solo halfway through um, I Ain't, the opening song. It's just so amazing. Mm. I mean, the riff on I Met the Stones. There are so many great riffs on this record, but that's almost a Judas Priest riff played by like a slacker grunge band. Yeah. And Jay Massey just moans away like a grumpy old get in the background, <laughs> but it's brilliant. But, but um, like a grumpy old get who sounds slightly happier than he has been before. Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> I mean, I think there's some stuff on this where I'm like, I, I, it's not necessarily entirely what I want from them. I, mean, I think I Ran Away, it's got a kind of country lament to it. That's kind of different. It's a bit more lemon heads than it is mud honey. Oh, and, I like that song. Um, but then I prefer, you mentioned Garden, which I think goes into a bit more Sebado territory. I assume, you know, obviously Lou Barlow's influence on the band is mm. awesome and massive and he's great and whatever. But I mean, that feels a bit more indie than it does country, which I quite like. Mm, mm. And there's Garden. a song in it called Hide Another Round, which I fucking love. Yeah. And it sounds like 1984 Black Flag if they were trying to cover R.E.M. Oh, very nice very nice like, yeah it's it's really really good um the best riff on the record is walking to you which is brilliant um there's one moment though that i am like ah, ah. take it back this kind of reggae scar type i'm not sure about that it's got a bit of a it's got a bit of a weird reggae vibe to it and i was like oh i don't know about this don't know um uh it's a point in the record it's track nine of 12 it's a point in the record mm. where things uh start to slow a little for me but it wasn't enough for me to um make a note of it in my notes but right. yeah i mean it gets a little i don't feel like this record is too long i no, think we, we kind of said this with beyond didn't we like we didn't feel it was too long long but maybe it could have had one song taken off of it anyway kind of thing just to make it apps just to really tighten it up I, I mean undoubtedly for me that would be the song to go it probably would be for me as well but then at the same time i also don't feel that it's essential that it went or mm. anything like that you know okay. um it doesn't it doesn't bother me quite to that extent um i yeah i i this is a, a another uh, really good Dinosaur Junior record. Um, mm. At the moment, interestingly, it is quite early days and I'm sure that there are more reviews to come in, but at the moment, Sweep It Into Space is currently the best rated Dinosaur Junior album, Metacritic. Um, they only have the last five on there. Um, I mean, I, I prefer I Bet On Sky and I've also listened to Farm uh since okay. um because quite a few people said to us oh if you like uh, beyond you should check out farm i think i prefer beyond as well um but having said that i still really like this album i still think it's very good and like you say yes. it's just a slightly an ever so slightly different twist on the dinosaur junior formula without w while still being very recognizably dinosaur junior yeah 
I agree. Yeah, it's very good. I mean, what I would say, here's the other thing I was going to mention to you as well, Renfrey, is yesterday when we were doing the Tears for Fears thing, you said we were talking about the quintessential sound of the 80s. And I said, to me, the quintessential sound of the 80s is that kind of um, mid-80s Depeche Mode, Tears for Fears, I guess, you know, kind of the the uh, pornography era, the cure, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. That's like what I think of, or like, you know, uh, Juju, Susie and the Banshees or whatever. Um, That's what I think of when I think of like the 80s. Agreed. This is quintessentially 90s, right? This is the sound of the 90s, I think. Uh, Yeah, I think there's something to say of that. I mean, this feels like it could have been plucked out of 1992. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, certainly Dinosaur. I mean, Dinosaur Jr. first record was 85. But I do think it took a little time for people to really start ripping them off. Um, Mm. You know, um, uh, a couple of years, probably. But that probably didn't really manifest itself until the late 80s slash early 90s. So, yeah, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, there is a quintessential 90s-ness to it. So, of course, we love it. Um, But, (laughs) you know, but what can I say? I, I... I do and we do like like this this is really this is a great band releasing another great record um and it isn't miles different from what they've done before but it does have the bonus of there aren't loads of people doing this thing right now Mm. um can you think of contemporary bands that are doing this thing I suppose you can argue I mean that that wave of like shoegaze stuff like the bitch falcon stuff and things like that takes yeah. bits and pieces of dinosaur junior but it doesn't sound exactly the same it's not the i don't think i think they have less of a slacker element to them yeah i mean i was going to say something like that. i guess the dirty nil are like a kind of youthful pilled up version of this sort of thing i guess it's definitely but the, the again, husker do thing i mean it's because i mean bob mold and sunshine rock is such a great comparative point because i feel like you've got like the the, the shy one and the really outgoing one mm, mm, and they're sort of two if this if they're almost like twins i feel like kind of husker do and dinosaur junior are kind of like reverse personalities of each other and then i mean actually maybe more sugar i mean we're probably going to talk about a lot more of these sort of bands a couple of albums the, down the line yeah this, this is not going to be the first time bob mole comes up this week uh, yeah so uh maybe we'll just leave it for that but yeah not many mm. not many i think the dirty nil Probably a little bit too energetic to be Dinosaur Junior. Because I was, there's I was still about something to... really lackadaisic, like brilliantly lackadaisical about Dinosaur Junior. Like they don't give a fuck, do they? It's not to Melvin's level of like willful antagonism, but it's also not the kind of super energetic squalling noise of Sonic Youth or, like I say, the, the well, the the kind of artsy sound of Sonic Youth, and it's not really the super energetic sound of could do either so it is its own thing i get the dirty nil comparison i don't think it's a terrible one i think the one thing i would say is i think deep 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 down the dirty nil kind of know that they're really cool because they are they're really cool um whereas dinosaur junior i don't think i don't think they think they're cool at all (laughs) do you know what do you know what i mean that might sound like a subtle difference but actually when you listen to the records it's it's a relatively big difference, but I I don't think Dirty Nil's a terrible shout at all. I think that's pretty mm. pretty good. Yeah, there you go. I mean, look, if you're a fan, I'm sure you're going to very 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 much like this. Um, and we have, you know, we have spoken about Dancer Junior a fair bit recently, and um, they are a good band. I mean, it's again, it feels like another band that I was always like a little bit. I wouldn't. I think sort of said it at the time, but like not not really ho hum on. Like I like them, 
but I don't really feel that I had any kind of, um, you know, like when you feel compelled to, but like there's some bands where I'm like, I feel compelled to go and buy old uh, Slayer records. Mm -hmm. I feel mm -hmm. compelled to go and buy old, um, you know, like, like I, f I feel compelled to get like Pearl Jam albums. Mm -hmm. and I feel compelled to get like Super Unknown and, you know, I feel compelled to get those records. As I've never been like, oh, I should buy, you know, I should buy Bug on vinyl. But I'd never felt that before. But now I'm like, yeah, maybe that would sound really good on vinyl, wouldn't it? I think Bug would sound fucking great on vinyl. Um, yeah. And I agree. I've not felt compelled to complete my Dinosaur Jr. back catalogue. I own four or five of their records, I think. Um, but the more that we cover them of late, the more I'm like, I really would quite like to fill in that back catalogue, actually um and pick them all up you know um so yeah i completely agree with you basically that's what i'm trying to say um yeah so there you go dinosaur jr sweep it into space a good album by a good band yeah. off we go uh then let's move on to something which uh, i think does at least think it's cool whether it is or not We'll find out as we talk about it. Californian Soil by London Grammar. This is the third studio album from the Nottingham-based trio, who, again, we've already featured on a previous Writers review, doing their second album, Truth is a Beautiful Thing, from mm -hmm. 2017. We were a bit like, if they did these things, they did those things, they could be really, really good. Mm. That's kind of a brief summation of that entire writers review yeah yeah i i enjoyed that album a lot actually um but we were very curious to see what london grammar would do next would they uh remain in the kind of pop um indie pop mold that they already are in or would they experiment a little bit more because i think we, what we both found with truth is a beautiful thing is whilst it was good it was a little bit samey it wasn't very dynamic relatively mm. long record for what it was 54 one fifty-two minutes something like that um when it was good it was very fucking good um yeah. but a bit a tad samey i think it's fair to say uh yes it was it is and you know it's uh it's got what i th i think a lot of kind of modern mainstream records tend to have which is they 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 just they they're just not there's not a lot of oomph to them it's, it's yeah. a really really weird thing to me that even kind of quote unquote pop bangers these days are very kind of are quite like low key and dour and a bit sort of sad and slow reflective music seems to be the coolest thing in the world right now mm. and i think that makes it very very difficult to to know <laughs> what kind of distinction you you know where to put bands because loads of stuff that we talk about and really like has that but it comes from a place of sort of dark artistic introspection as opposed to, oh, this will get me on the radio or a John Lewis advert. Yeah. And so there are parallels that you can draw, for example, between Chelsea Wolfe and London Grammar, even if actually what they're trying to achieve is something a little bit different. I don't think Chelsea Wolfe is looking to get onto the radio. Um, mm. London Grammar are playing Alexandra Palace at the end of this um, year. And I don't think um, Chelsea Wolfe is looking... I mean, she, she was going to be playing um, like the side room of Ali Pally before this COVID mm. stuff um, went off. But I can't imagine she'd ever see herself playing, you know, a, a headline show in the big room uh, at Ali Pally. Um, so, yeah, um, there was a certain... Uh, 
pop sheen that they were going for, which is like totally fine. It's totally okay for bands to go for that. Uh, I guess it's just slightly less to our tastes. Um, yeah. You said that for this album, you didn't want them to write something like Truth is Beautiful Thing. You wanted it to be a little bit more experimental and then maybe mm. they would win you over. So have have they won you over with this album, Steve? They haven't won me over. Okay. They haven't won me over. What they've done is they've made... Um, they're, 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 this is kind of a frustrating record in a lot of ways. I actually think it's it's frustrating because it is good as well. It well, is. Right? It might sound weird, but this is actually a pretty good album that is let down by a few things which make me sort of doubt the intention of it. I mean, the opening title track, there's a kind of intro into the title track, which is, it's a really amazing what six minutes of music that you get at the very very top of this record uh, so yeah it's two minutes 25 and that is the intro and three minutes 41 so it's just over six minutes of music that you get and the intro is the intro kind of sucks you in and then california saw the title track is a beautiful track mm. it's really great beautifully yeah. lush and orchestral but with this kind of deep ocean of of bleakness that kind of envelops it as well it's a really really great mixture of a kind of soul searching heartache and sublime euphoric orchestration totally i totally agree i think um the first thing i noticed with that intro track is blimey a lot of money's been thrown at this <laughs> yeah i mean it sounds <clears throat> it sounds huge just amazing it's not this again on headphones it is like imp it's impossible to do anything else if you've got this on in the headphones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just yeah. have to let it like soak you completely in its sonic soup. It's amazing. When it really, really amazing. When the album starts, yes, I would agree. The the, the beginning of the record, it's so kind of powerful and so like, mm. whoa, this is this sounds really huge. This might sound like a bit of a weird comparison, but that intro track, but it reminded me of kind of the sort of orchestral overture stuff that nightwish might do that's the kind of grandiosity yeah. of it it's really really big and initially i was like oh wow maybe they might do so because there was there wasn't anything quite that grand on truth is a beautiful thing so it it did sound like okay there's there's a bit of progression here and i think there has been some progression that's been made i don't Definitely. think this is a, a, a carbon copy of truth is a beautiful thing at all um and I think the album starts, you know, continues to be quite strong after that. The the really chilled yeah, out missing missing the second track has, has exactly got what so much. Say. There's a kind of angst to it. Yeah, like you don't hear a lot of like real angst in pop music, but there's a, there's there's a hell of a lot of depth and angst to that. And again, it sounds that the 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 composition of where everything sits within the it just sounds great. Mm. I mean, it just it's a really great sounding record. I think. Missing has a really chilled out, almost trip hop vibe to it. And it provides a lovely foundation for these swirling, almost James Bond-esque strings, I think. Um, and Hannah Reed's vocals are just fantastic, as they were 
uh, on the previous record as well. You know, she has an incredible voice, which really dominates a lot of the proceedings um, with this because it's just it's very difficult to get away from what a great voice that she has. Um, I do think, though, Reek seems to get a lot of the attention in London grammar. And in many aspects, it's fully deserved as she's a brilliant vocalist and she can write a really gorgeous earworm of a melody. But I do think it's fair to point out uh, Dominic Major and Daniel Rothman's contributions to this album as well because they create some really incredibly vivid foundations for her to sing over if you try to separate Reed's vocal performance performance from what's happening underneath a song like Lose Your Head for example you can hear that they are beautifully supporting what she is doing without mm. ever taking her away from center stage and i think a lot of critics miss that completely to be honest there's a lot of talk about mm. hannah reed and i totally get that and it's deserved but you know just a nod to them as well because they are actually creating some really beautiful subtle um foundations beneath her as well yeah i agree i agree i mean actually uh my my initial listen to this i, I the the music was the thing that intrigued me mm. much more than the vocal so <clears throat> for me I mean, I'm not saying that she's not good. I'm absolutely, she's very, she's very great. good. But I, I actually think that they were, it was the music that was really holding my attention far more than any kind of vocal performance initially. There's some lovely Porter's Head type stuff on it. There is, yeah. Lovely Porter's Head type stuff, you know. Mm. Ma it actually, actually made me get out my copy of Dummy and re-listen to Dummy for the first time in quite a while, which was nice. But yeah. I mean, you've mentioned, we've, we've mentioned kind of, if you include the intro, um the first four songs and said they're all really good lord lord it's a feeling i think is a good song as well huge um, highlight of the album for me and you know like real yeah like it, it kind of reaches a peak there if you look at the writers on on its wikipedia page they're all written by the first five songs are all written by the band and there's and lose your head also features a writing credit from someone called george fitzgerald right mm. now when we get to track six suddenly that song which is called how does it feel is written by uh it's got two extra writing credits on it it's not a lot it's not an, a lot but it's very to me it's very noticeable mm. because how does it feel comes in track six after it being really really great and completely changes the vibe of the record mm. it has every element of the popular basic you know really really hugely prevalent obvious quite annoying and not very good parts of what popular music does right now mm, mm, mm. and i literally as soon as i heard that bum, bam, ooh, mm, thing i was like oh have you resorted to this mm, shit already mm, mm. sixth track in i was like oh, why have you done this yeah like yeah it's gonna get you on the radio i mean mm. that's got single written all over it mm. but it's just after what's gone before it it's it's such a huge dip in quality for me like i just and immediately as soon as i hear those things as soon as i hear those I, i'm not sure there's well there probably has been i think if you go back to the 90s, there used to be this like what I used to call Professor Burp's bubble works um, effect on a lot of uh, on a lot of pop songs. It would be like thing that used to was on. It was on loads of loads and loads like a kind of keyboard effect that was on loads and loads and loads and loads of pop songs, which 
I could mention, and I think a lot of the younger people would go, never heard that before. And the reason you haven't heard them before is because they were omnipresent and rubbish and most of them and, and boring like i've got a little bit of a kind of soft spot for a few of them probably because you know it reminds me of being a kid or whatever but they're not good songs and they vanished because they're not good songs and everybody did this kind of bubble like boop, 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 thing for about 18 months in pop music yeah right i know what you mean and this thing that is popular now is the same fucking thing and as soon as i hear that sound i go rubbish you've Hmm. you've resorted to doing what everyone else is doing i don't care now i didn't have as strong a reaction to those songs as you did but i do agree with everything you're saying i said i think how does it feel and baby it's you which are tracks six and seven on this record baby it's used it's got a sad bit on love island didn't it (laughs) yeah there's certainly there's an element where it goes into more um typical pop territory let's say where i just listen to them and i go look this is fine but you're better than this and i think to be honest i think hannah reed is such a constant like it's so constantly brilliant throughout this album that she does kind of she makes those songs bearable for me because i think her performance is so good just just generally but i do agree that it takes a dip on those two songs because it almost feels like they don't have the strength of their convictions as much on mm. the, the other material that they're doing. Interestingly, uh, Baby It's You was released as the first single from this record, which, you know, to, uh, you know, <laughs> fine. And How Does It Feel was the fourth single from this record. So yes, they, they were both earmarks for singles, clearly. Um, and I think there are far, far better songs on this record. In terms of are they the best choices for singles? Um, arguably, yes, they are, because that's what a lot of radio likes. And to be fair, as we're talking about this record, um, well, it isn't number one in the UK charts at the moment, but it's going to be. Um, mm. It is currently outselling uh, the rest of the top five um, g- combined. G- combined. So it is going to be a number one record for them. And I'm I'm thrilled. Like I'm I'm much happier to hear stuff like this going to number one than a lot of other Mogwai. stuff that goes to, <laughs> than, than a lot of other stuff that goes to number one. Although, you know, weirdly having said that, we are getting it's been a really interesting year for the charts. I feel like we've covered mm. the charts so much more than we normally would. And there's yeah. a really interesting shift, you know. Um while she sleeps that while she sleeps record is doing really really well as well i think it's top five and it's like that's really good to see that's cool you know um yeah i think devil side of soul went in the top 40 that's the first time they've ever hit the top yeah i I would never have imagined that no um they think i think holding absence is going to be in there as well yeah yeah and Um, we've had architects at one and mogwai at number one you know so it is really interesting and you know this does sit in a totally different space to those albums um and it's less... Yeah, I mean, they're a big band, aren't they, now, London Grammar? You kind of would expect them to be number one, I think. Yes, I think that's fair to say. Um, but, but I, you know, it's nice to see this as a number one over, I don't fucking know, something shit. Uh, <laughs> Marshmallow. This is how little I pay attention to the charts normally. Um, we discussed the kind of... Uh, in our writer's review, we talked about how there was quite a big similarity with Louise Lemon, who mm-hmm. is an artist who 
has played Roadburn. I've seen her at Roadburn. And yet, sonically, if you took Louise Lamont and London Grammar, it's not a whole bunch of difference, really. So some people might raise their eyebrows and go, why are you covering this? I, I, I think that's the reason. Like, there are... There are massive similarities between, mm. you know, if we're covering Louise Lemon. This, this is this is on, yeah, Louise Lemon's on Sergeant House. This is on Ministry of Sound. No, I know that I know. is the only difference. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah. and you know, not everyone was super keen on that Louise Lemon album. I totally get that. I, I quite enjoy it, but I, I get why people were less keen on that than say an A. A. Williams or a, a Ruth Rundle or whatever. But um you know there are massive masses of similarities between those two things far more than people would imagine or expect um i think also though we should say like, what we haven't said is after those two songs how does it feel and baby it's you it does begin to claw its way back uh quite brilliantly um to the point where from call your friends onwards we've got call your friends all my love talking i need the night and america and by the time we hit america in particular uh it's gone straight back to the 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 brilliance of the first part of the record i'd even even go as far maybe as to say that america might even be the best track on the record america is the sort of thing that i would imagine emma ruth rundle to do Mm -hmm. like it's it's brilliant that song i mean i think i need the night is like a kind of less intense florence and the machine Mm -hmm. um talking has got a kind of it's almost got a i don't want to say sea shanty but almost like a a mermaid call style piano ballad thing which i thought was very interesting it does get itself back into kind of more interesting more glacial places i think all my love is a good example of it kind of going i think when they get into that kind of shimmering glacial space and make their music more spacious and less kind of trying to be instantaneous it's good um you're right america is brilliant but they feel to me overall, my overall impression of the record, maybe and mainly because of those two songs and the kind of the inability to ever really claw it back to the highest standard that we saw right at the start until the final track, is that they they are caught to me in a sort of halfway house between wanting to be really artistically interesting and also just being kind of caught in the trappings of the machine. Mm. Yeah, maybe. There's a kind of there's a kind of a mainstream pop mediocrity that that, that that I feel like they must feel they have to just do. Maybe. But if we're looking at their contemporaries, i.e. other pop bands, uh, we've discussed quite a lot on this show about how, I mean, for my money, certainly so often with pop records, the quality of them is uh, is like a roller coaster. They're kind of all over the place. And I think, uh, you know, that's partly due to sort of streaming and people being able to listen to whatever they want to and yada, yada, yada. But like, I feel like this is more consistent than most of the, most of the records that it would be contemporary to, if that makes sense. Yes. There's that dip in the, in the middle for my money and for your money as well. But it is, well, I was going to say it's only a minor dip. You obviously feel slightly different to to me Mm. than that, but, but it's, it, it still feels I think there's an argument to say that this feels more consistent than say, well, maybe those Taylor Swift records. Like I love those Taylor Swift records. I actually bought Evermore uh, the other day. Um, mm. But I think in terms of, I, I don't think the, hu- I don't think the highs are as high as what Taylor Swift manages to get to, 
But I do think this is a more consistent album than either Folklore or Evermore, personally. Both of which I think are a bit of a seesaw roller coaster kind of records. But when they're good, they're fucking amazing. I don't think anything. Well, I don't think anything drops. To, uh, I don't think the highs on this are as high, and I like it sits. If if by consistent you mean it sits far more in the middle. Yeah, I uh, guess I do. Because I mean, I'm not. Uh, I personally would say it doesn't get as high, but it falls lower. I I think that's probably true as well. Mm. Uh, but it falls lower for less time let's say i mean obviously if you're taking evermore and folklore together you're talking they're about both over, long aren't they yeah you're talking about over two yeah. hours of music there and this uh, is yeah i'm not record, sure i can but... get on board with that to be honest mate oh, okay. but you know that's that's fine um yeah i uh, yeah i mean i guess probably poss- and possibly the reason why because they show signs of being able to be compared to things like chelsea wolf i'm almost kind of going well you could be that and just because you're not on the right record label, I'm still going to compare you to that, I'm afraid, because that's what you're showing me at some points. And Chelsea Wolfe would never. Like, Baby It's You, Chelsea Wolfe would never. Not in a billion years. And for that, it's where I'm like, okay, yes, comparatively, this is a good thing for kind of chart music that this and, and mainstream music that a band are doing something as good as what they do in the first half of this record. But where I'm coming from, the wider broader context of music as a whole and where i kind of see musically alone not what label they're on or what festival they should be playing or where they are in the charts or whatever where i see it sitting it's not as good as i mean it's some way away from an emma ruth rundle or a chelsea wolf yeah. like i agree quite quite far away um I but still it's really still like it, pretty good yeah it's I, still I, pretty good i like i i, I do I am very keen on this record just because when it the highs are really high and I do think they're really good. Songs like Missing and Californian Soil and Lord It's a Feeling and America. Those are all yeah, really brilliant good. songs. So, yeah, you know. Um, yeah, bit of a kind mm-hmm. of just a little bit frustrating for me, to be honest, just a little bit frustrating. Maybe I have too much faith in uh, people. <laughs> to think I don't that they think, would want. I don't think you do. <laughs> no, I don't feel like I do, um, but maybe I do. Anyway, that's California Soil by London Grammar, and that is out now, and it's probably at number one in the album charts probably. as you hear this. Uh, all right, let's move on to our third album of the week. It comes from the Montreal post-metal trio, Big Brave. The album is called Vital. It's their fifth album. It's the follow-up to 2019's A Gaze Among Them. Now, I'm going to be honest here. Five albums in from Big Brave, I didn't even know this was a band. Oh, really? Uh, okay. You did, probably, yep. didn't you, Remfrey? Yep. Yeah, yes. I was aware of Big Brave, yep. I've been aware of Big Brave since their third album, I want to say, which is called, oh, I almost had Arda. Um, and uh, yes, Big Brave, you called them a post-metal trio, which I don't think is inaccurate. I've always seen them as more of a doom thing. And as we have described, as we have said on this show before, uh just not massively enamored by doom generally and um arda was a record at the time which i really admired but didn't love uh if i'm totally honest um i don't know if i've changed or if they've changed i think it's probably more me actually um but vital i'm kind of i've realized that there's actually a lot more to this trio than just just sort of dismissing them as another doom a another doom act um interestingly 
in 2012, and I didn't realise this of Big Brave until we came to do this record, they started out as a sort of subtle, ambient, minimalistic folk song outfit, Um, which is... And whilst little of those folksy roots remain, there are subtle indicators to their folk origins in the way that they use uh, dynamics and silence. Um, Mm. We talk about albums or artists who use silence sometimes uh on here a williams and singer rose spring to mind but not talk, that talk. often talk talk yeah Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um but not loads of um artists do because frankly most artists are too scared <laughs> to utilize silence there's um a, a really long period on this record that basically is complete silence to the point where I thought my stream had cut out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Where, where like, you're not sure if it's ended or not. Um, I think something that really struck me the first time I listened to this album was the amount of fake endings the band have employed on this record. And there, there are so many to the point where, although there are only five tracks on the album, listening to it without the track listing in front of me, it felt like there were all, at least double the amount of tracks, songs on yeah. the album because it was sometimes difficult to tell where one song actually ended and another began. Um, a good example of this is probably Of This Ilk, which has a rather brilliant false elevate, uh, false ending that elevates it from being a bit of a slow no-goer, in my opinion, to something which is borderline like elegiac and brilliant. Um, and that might, you know... Saying that it's difficult to know where one song ends and the other begins might give the impression that we're dealing with a band who don't utilise dynamics here. But I wouldn't say that with Big Brave at all. In fact, they're really good at utilising dynamics. It's it's more that the effect of utilising multiple endings over the course of one record gives the listener a sense of discombobulation, like being in the middle of a maze and not quite sure how close to the end of the maze you are or even how close to the start of it you are. But I actually really liked that. It felt like I was in the grip of uh, this weird journey and I was quite happy to just let them take me along it because it was really, there's a lot of dynamics and there's a lot of uh, things going on with it. The other big thing to note is uh, vocalist. I think the vocalist is Taisy Hudson uh, from this band. She does sound a lot like pj harvey when she wants to and that is not meant as a diss at all more i mean that as this is essentially a doom band being fronted by pj harvey which to me sounds incredibly exciting indeed Uh, and there are so many moments on this record where i'm like that sounds like pj harvey fronting i don't know a a doom band (laughs) which which is exciting to me it's sorry who did you say the vocalist was is it Taisy Hudson or is it someone else? Okay, I thought it was Robin Watty. I'm that, that I might I might have got that totally wrong. So, who is the yeah. vocalist? I think I'm yeah I think I'm right in saying that it's the vocalist and guitarist. Okay. Um, yes, I mean, well, you basically reviewed the whole record. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is no, it's fine. Um, I mean, this is on Southern Lord. We should say as well. So when I brought it up, not knowing anything about this band, I kind of was like, well, I've got a vague idea of what I'm in for because it's it's on Southern Lord, and I thought, you know, we I know what that is. Um, I looked at the track listing. I have to say five tracks is all it is. Um, the shortest one being um, four minutes and 22 seconds, which actually is quite short. But the others are, I mean, nine minutes, nine minutes, eight minutes, seven minutes. Like yeah. it's a 30 big songs. 38, 39 yeah. minute record. So it's a 39 minute record and five tracks. And I was like, oh, this probably will be 
quite an undertaking, quite mm. a task to get into this. I actually think this is a, f- a fantastically easily digestible record because it is so dynamically satisfying. Because it is so kind of brilliantly unhinged as well. Like there are parts on it, it is massive slamming alternative post-metal. And you've got this, like I say, uh, often quite unhinged, high-registered female whale a la PJ Harvey. Yeah. I mean, this is a thing that I've been going on about for a good five years or so, ever since I heard Oathbreaker. And I was like, that meld of crushing, powerful, brutal riffs mixed with a very, very feminine, very, very ethereal, but still quite angry take on folk music and, you know, Joni Mitchell and Kate Bush and people like that who, you know, like were much more kind of um uh you know musically sonically quieter throughout you know um i i always thought is 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 a brilliant thing and i still you know i still find it just fucking fantastically exciting an idea i i think the the way that those two things coalesce the way that those two things complement each other is it's just brilliant and you know the opening song the abating of incarnation of matter has these discordant off-kilter killer riffs Mm. slamming slicing stabbing riffs and when um robin watty the vocalist shreds her throat towards the end of it the the power of that is remarkable um and actually the, the she plays guitar as well and i think some of the guitar parts are they're not like your typical kind of post metally droney doomy stuff like the second song half breed has a use of feedback in the same way as you now adam jones from tool mm-hmm. will use like feedback almost as a as an instrument you know as as a, a way of sort of creating the first few bars of the song it, it does that and when the crescendo comes in on the those harsh guitar parts again you mentioned of this ilk I mean, it's just, it's hypnotic and transcendental. And I feel like I'm a bit of, I don't actually have a lot to say about this record because I feel like I'm, again, I'm a bit of a mark for this stuff. And they do take it to some pretty doomy places. But like on the last song on the title track, that kind of languid, slow, almost formless noise. But yet there's, but I don't really think of it as doom because I think riff-wise, some really kind of harsh riffs and it sort of to me sits somewhere between converge and sonic youth mm. you know the kind of really wild angular discordant slashing of sonic youth but also the kind of power and the intensity of converge mm. they kind of managed to to balance the, the just the music alone that you seem to be able to balance on that seesaw and then put this like amazing totally different totally dynamic and uh like completely different voice over the top of it and i you know i just i just think that is it's almost become like a sort of a genre of its own now that that type of thing but it's so great it's it's just still such an exciting sound um i, I mean i for me this is the best record of the week mm. Mm. like i i think this is i think this is really great i'm not 
you know, I, I mean, people can probably remember how mad. I mean, Oathbreaker was in Rare Oathbreaker was in my top ten mm-hmm. albums of the decade. <clears throat> mm-hmm. I think it's just, just an absolutely phenomenal record. Um, I don't think this is as good as that, and I also think because it has quite a lot of similarities sonically to that. I'm not as like, oh my God, like uh, that record just felt like I'd never heard anything like that before in my life. And it feels like the last few years, lots of people, you know, there have been a lot of people who are, you know, brilliantly making that sound more, mm. you know, that, that that's a sound that, that people have taken and really run with. And I don't think this even really sounds like Rare by Oathbreaker. I think it does sound like something different because it has got those kind of elongated, droney, kind of sonic youth experimental noise rock passages to it and it's easier to you know, listen to and it, yeah and it's it's a much more you know easily digestible <clears throat> thing and it's yeah. quite kind of straightforward um but it's great mm. <laughs> i mean it's really really good this it's like it's really good it's absolutely it's absolutely made me want to go back to their previous records and um and you know maybe reassess them a little bit and yeah a band who you know five six years ago i might have dismissed but now having opened myself up to a little bit more of that kind of thing kind of uh understand why they are beyond a lot of their contemporaries and it it does come down to that thing that we talk about all the time it's all about dynamics and Mm -hmm. it being you know um a record which doesn't just kind of like i i often you know, and this is down to my taste more than anything else, but I often feel bored listening to Doomy records after a while. After 15, 20 minutes, I, I often get bored. I don't get bored listening to this album because it started, no, because no, there's no. enough I, dynamics in it. When it started again, when the stream ended and it started playing again, I was like, "This are they harking back to the first song? Because that can't be it. Mm, mm, mm. Because it feels like mm. it went by so quickly, which mm. for Doom... yeah." <laughs> associated album is so rare for yeah. me to feel that way about yeah. it yeah yeah this is massively impressive stuff and i think if you are a fan of any of those bands i've just said i think you will really like that for me this is definitely the best record of the week it's uh, it's very good it's yeah, really good it is a damn close run thing between this album and the next album oh mate we um we actually reviewed Greta Van Fleet last week <laughs> <laughs> Oh yes, Wag in that waggled. case, it's the best album of the week. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, okay. it's it's a very uh, close run thing between this record and the next one we're about to review for me. But yeah, okay, cool. All right, there you go. Big Brave Vital is out now, which leaves us with one more album, which Andre has already hinted at a little bit. The album comes from Assertion. It is a debut album. They are a Tracoma Washington trio featuring the former Sunny Day Real Estate and Foo Fighters drummer William Goldsmith Jr. This album is called Intermission. Um, we had a little chat about this, Renfrew. We decided what we were going to do this week. And, you know, basically the first two were sort of shoe-ins. And then we were like, what else should we stick in there? Uh, I listened to the album um, Suffocate for Fuck's Sake, mm. the post-metal band. And I was like, this is really good. Yep. We should whack this in here. Yep. That is good, by the it's way. We don't really, have time to really review good. that this week. But that is a very good record. I reviewed it for that kind of, I reviewed that album. Yeah. So if you're interested in... Yeah, yeah. So the kind of... If you're into sort of neurosis yeah, you know, Carl stuff... Yeah then you should go and have a little listen to that. It is very good, but we didn't really have time to go deep in on it this week. So It's, all, um, it's also 80 minutes, that record. So. <laughs> it's quite long, yeah. Um, <laughs> lot of Swedish chatting on it, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Lots, lot, loads and loads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, not that that's a bad thing. But anyway, but having heard Big Brave and then hearing this, it was pretty clear to me that they were the two sort of standout records that we should be covering, I think. And you're right. I mean, on the phone, you called this emo for grown-ups. Mm, to yeah, me. yeah. 
Uh, and I guess it will shock no one to learn that this is basically a kind of old school emo college rock record. What with William Goldsmith Jr., the former Foo Fighter in the ranks. Well, yeah. sorry, the f- former Sunny Day real estate man in the ranks. Um, I think he'd prefer to be known as that than the former yeah, Foo Fighter. Yeah, that was an accident, <laughs> Mr. Goldsmith Jr. Yeah, I apologise. Yeah, yeah. I know you've got a bit of problems yeah, with yeah. the Foo Fighters thing. But um, yeah, and, and you're, you're sort of broadly right, I think. Yeah. I think if, if you know, if that's your bag, if Sensefield and Texas are reason and, you know, Sunny Day real estate is your bag and, you know, we mentioned... Um, we mentioned Bob Mould might as well get that out of the way the yeah. very very first song starts off sounding like kind of Sparta with Bob Mould on vo- vocals I think well and- uh, Justin Taminga the vocalist has a very gravelly quality to his voice which really recalls a sort of feistier punkier Bob Mould um, mm. but that is very much a compliment in my eyes so, I, yeah. yes I mean very much a compliment mm. I, I think the kind of emo college rock thing that you and I like yeah can sometimes sound quite thin on reflection. Yes. I don't have a problem with that personally. I don't have a problem with, like, I love those early wiry Fugazi sounds. I like, fucking think it sounds great. But, you know, that kind of wiry thing is quite a prominent um, sonic thing that is on a lot of those emo records that you and I really, really, really love. Yep. Now... What's good about this is you've got a real sort of fuzzed up bass guitar sound and guitar sound on this record. I mean, down into the depth of the first song, I was I was like, I really like this, but it has got that kind of like thing to the to the guitars, which give it a just a warmer quality and made it a bit different. So it means it's not just the kind of emo stuff that I personally would be name checking on it. I mean, the second song is pure Smashing Pumpkins. We spoke about Siamese Dream for about three hours. There is so much dreamy Siamese Dream-esque Smashing Pumpkins guitar to that. And there are really so many nods to so many bands that you and I both just fucking love on this record. This is very interesting because I promise you, whilst we have talked about this record a little bit over the phone, we haven't gone into this much depth yet. And on my notes, I wrote, it's kind of a mix of Smashing Pumpkins, Fugazi and Bob Mould, all of whom we've just mentioned. So yes, absolutely. But what I would say is it's whilst those influences are just about recognisable enough to be noticed, I think with the mixture of them all, it does... um, they do manage to create something that I'm not going to go as far as say unique because I think that is a bit OTT, but it's certainly idiosyncratic. Yes. It's certainly something that, uh, you know, I, it sounds like uh, them uh, as opposed mm. to just just a kind of um, inferior rip off of those bands. Um, because I don't think Pumpkins and Fugazi automatically fit together but they've managed to do that quite well on this mm-hmm. and like you said when you go back to some of those records texas the reason or whatever stuff like that they do sound a little bit yeah thin um sometimes yeah. i think that's generally down to those bands having very little money to play with it's exactly what at, it is. at yeah. that time um what's great about this they don't really check on the distortion all that often but when they do it sounds fucking huge it sounds really Mm. really big and it really gives the record a lot of dynamics and and a really um big sonic pool to play with um i had i was cursorily interested in this record purely down to william goldman's involvement who i've wanked wanked on about how much i adore sunny real estate on this record obviously there's the foo fighters 
comparison stuff but i think william goldsmith is just a brilliant brilliant drummer uh, as he proves to be on this as well but so i'm always curious about right. what he's doing gil norton doesn't think so but i'm always curious as to what he's doing and i'm always curious as to uh yeah what he's getting up to but uh, i don't know i i didn't have super super strong um uh I wasn't super excited about this album, but when I heard it, I was like, this is really good. And I think it takes a few listens before it really worms your way in. I think if mm. you'd asked me a week ago, what's the best album of the week? Probably would have undoubtedly said Big Brave and agreed with you. But the more I listen to this, the, the more that it worms its way into my ears and my brain. I'm really, I really, really like this album a lot. I think it's really good. And I think it's much stronger than you would expect from the debut album from um a group of musicians who have been doing it for a while you know um uh, there's a lot of bands like this who will form and they might do one record and then break up or maybe they won't but um uh, but this just feels really really strong you know in the way that i don't know if you ever checked out that gratitude record that jonah did yeah, you know that's a really really strong record which mm. just kind of came out of nowhere and gratitude were a thing i think they were a band for less than a year in total mm. but it's just a record which it's just a really good record that i just go back to from time to time and when i put it on i'm like yeah this is great i can totally see uh intermission by assertion being exactly the same sort of thing just a record that i go back to over and over again as the years go by really yeah, I mean, I just, it's it's like a kind of, it's kind of like a warm, emo, post-hardcore, alternative rock, 90s comfort blanket, this mm. record. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there's bits of sugar and therapy and even prong a little bit when they get a little bit heavy. More, actually, more quicksand probably than prong. Mm -hmm. But there's a kind of New York bordering on metal like occasionally bits in it because those riffs can be like you say when they step on the distortion they can occasionally get they can get quite heavy mm -hmm. not super duper heavy um it sounds like it should have come out on revelation records mm -hmm. in like 1997 like it's just yeah it, i mean they're not they're absolutely not reinventing the wheel in any way whatsoever no. they're not really stretching the 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 sort of the the genre in any wild way at all but they've they've crafted they've crafted nine really good songs i mean, they've literally like i think every song on this record is is one that i'm like this is a great song yeah there's not a bad song on this record and whilst i do agree with you that they're not pushing boundaries or anything like that i as i said i think the mixture of stuff that they've got is enough to give them an identity of sorts i mean you yeah. know getting getting like a really clear identity on your first record very very few bands managed to do that anyway but if they did continue with this project and did a second and maybe a third that it's not insurmountable that that might happen i don't think yeah they're a, they're a good band mm. i mean the end <laughs> like you know if if you're if you're one of the if you're one of us lot, they, either me and Renfrew, you know what me and Renfrew are fucking like old cunts going about. <laughs> not that's not emo and all that kind of shit. Yep. Um, if, if you're one of if you're one of us, then I think you really are going to enjoy this record. And to be honest, even if you're not, I think there's enough sort of instantaneous. I don't want to go instant rock thrills like they're fucking Richie Blackmore's Rainbow or something <laughs> like that. But do you know what I mean? Like they're not doing since you've been gone. You know, it's not like Dad Rock two thousand not at four or whatever. But um. But, you know, there's enough kind of instantaneous riffs and stuff on here for you to go, 
that this is a pretty good band. Yeah, yeah, I like this. I mean, I think you probably like it a little bit more than me, but mm. I do really like it. It's mm. good. Mm. Yeah, it's I called Assertion, and the band are called no, no, sorry, the, the band, band are called Assertion. Assertion. The album's called Intermission, and that is it for the end of the show. Next week on the show, we are going to be reviewing the new Gojira album. Oh yes. Yes, we bloody are. And some other stuff. Maybe Evile as well. Poor Evile. Can't put them in with Gajira. That's too much, isn't it? That's hard. Yeah. Well, well I, I can tell you. I mean, we're definitely going to be reviewing Gajira, Manchester Orchestra and Royal Bloods. Like, that's a that's a given. I think that's fair to yeah. say. Yeah. I just noticed Evile and I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> we, <laughs> might like we might leave. We might leave you, We'll see. Yeah. Uh, okay. Go over to signaturebrew.co.uk and put the code RIAACT in the checkout and you'll get 10% off all of your own pub stuff, uh, which is very nice. Don't go to the shitty pub that Renfrew went to. Waste of time. <laughs> uh, and we'll see you next week. Thank you very much.